Welcome to another season of Sources and Sinks, and I'm your host, Alok. You can now get your podcast from anywhere you like. iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, Spotify, and many more. Yeah, it's not just about targeting. It's actually about learning and understanding what works and what doesn't uh, and being able to use that not only in your ads, but feed it into other parts of your campaign and operation, whether that's events or mail or TV or slogans or when you're door knocking. And that is actually one of the things that he benefits from. He, we actually looked at what candidates are asking for in their ads. Uh, Bernie and Pete are asking for money pretty much 60% of the time. Trump asks for money only about 25% of the time. The rest of the time he's collecting information from voters on who they are and what they like. And he's using it to take the conversation off of Facebook, off of Google, and have a different kind of conversation where he knows a lot more about them. Maybe he'll ask for money later on, but he's really has a sophisticated voter data collection operation going on. And because his digital is more sophisticated, it makes his whole campaign better. In the digital age, and even more in this COVID age, the importance of inbound and content marketing for marketers has simply skyrocketed. It is important to learn from the success of folks who took use of this strategy to great effect. Demisto, a SOAR or security operation and automated response startup, last year got acquired by Palo Alto Networks after just four years of its brief existence. This acquisition of Demisto at 560 million is usually credited to Demisto's blistering growth in those four years. And a large part of that growth came from innovative marketing operations run by Demisto team. To understand and discuss this, I have Rishi Bhargav as my guest today. He was a co-founder of Demisto and is now a vice president of product strategy at Palo Alto Networks. Welcome, Rishi, to the podcast, Sources and Sync. So, Demisto had such a strong sales growth year after year after its inception in 2015. A lot of it's credited to the almost amazing marketing efforts and the big incoming pipeline that was built under Demisto under your leadership. So, if I just give some perspective to the audience, can you briefly describe this marketing story in raw numbers? Thanks, Alok. That's uh, that's actually an uh, interesting question. I think I would say the growth was a perfect combination of a few things. Market timing, product definition, product positioning, marketing, sales execution, and also customer success. All these pieces need to come together. But you're right. We, we did some very different things in marketing. 
From a numbers perspective, we started the Mr. September of 2015, uh, and the first product came out, uh, version one was July 16, July 2016. And we hit 1 million in bookings in our first six months. And uh, we had another two years of selling and got sold to Palo Alto Networks for 560 million in March 2019. We saw crazy amount of interest in both the product and the problem space during that time. In terms of marketing numbers, I would say we started measuring really the true marketing metrics, whether it's pipeline, whether it's uh, conversion rate and other things in 2017. Uh, our first year, I remember 2017, the goal was to build the pipeline early part of the year and we were able to get to uh, close to $25 million in solid pipe. And what I mean solid pipe is a lot of people measure the pipeline number, but don't know what their conversion ratio is. And we were measuring, if I get 1 million in pipe, what does it convert to actual? And then 2018, uh, I remember we were close to $100 million pipe in the first five months, which resulted in amazing uh, level of conversion. Mm-hmm. So let's retrace your steps from the very start. So what I want to kind of focus in that a lot of folks, when they start the company, they have certain goals, but as they do market discovery, they realize some of their goals need to change. So in your perspective, did you succeed, fail in the objective as you defined them? What did you learn out of them? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, look, I I had never done marketing before the Mister, right? I mean, I've been product manager, engineer. Um, the the goals of marketing for the first year, we we had uh, really no clue what actually we were trying to do, and the reason was the marketing role, which was me being a co-founder started when the product was not even there. So we were in a unique position that we started marketing right when the product was being built. So the first step uh, that we said, okay, let's go back to basics. And Mm -hmm. I said, let me figure out where do our audience or where do our prospective customers actually hang out? What is the problem that they are facing? And can we connect with them? Can we go engage them and make them interested without selling any product, without positioning any product, any of those pieces. So so the core for the first nine months of company's existence, we connected with our audience by a few different things. Free Slack bot, Slack community, fireside chat, putting library of popular IR tools, all of these different things all put together to one goal, which is can we engage with audience? Can we talk to them? Can we understand their problem better? So that was our first goal. And I think we did a fantastic job. We had, um, we, the reason why I think we did a fantastic job and succeeded was our first million dollar of bookings, as I mentioned in six months, was from customers outside of our connection. Not a single connection from VC, from uh, our friend <laughs> circle or founders. Ah, so, but one of the usual objectives for any startup, uh, I'm getting to the next question, that is to get the first version out of your of your product out in the hands of as many early adopters to get feedback and hopefully cause adoption. 
considering that you had some new early adopters did you get your goal to get your first version of a product to as many hands as possible so that's actually i i would say the goal of the company from uh, the company growth perspective should be to get in as many qualified hands as possible rather than as many hands as possible and the reason why i use the word qualified very very carefully here is because you can get your product to 30 prospects but out of which only four really care about your product or four really have the problem then the rest 26 are going to be wasted uh, i would say we actually did not have a widespread trial or a very large beta we had a handful of customers before our first version ga we in fact had 8 to 10 interestingly all those 8 to 10 people we engaged with from a beta perspective or learning perspective were the ones from our connection but somewhere around the beta time frame we started to get this influx of brand new prospects from our other marketing efforts on the community side as i mentioned and that turned into the real dollar pipeline or real money rather than our network of people who would of course give us feedback so i am not trying to say your network doesn't help to get the right feedback or get the right product but what i'm pointing out is in our case our early efforts to connect with the right audience resulted in beta onwards or resulted in ga onwards into building a very large level of interest and pipeline from there on uh, from a let's move on to something i want to kind of double click on your marketing efforts so demisto had a very strong social media presence at right. least as observed by many people outside the company i mean i was one of them so i wanted to get into your decision making process so what goals were you trying to achieve with your presence on social media and what the rating will you give from 1 to 10 being one being the low range in terms of success through social media so we we actually use social media very heavily i think uh, in fact i think some of these decision it was not even uh, like hey let's use social media to build pipe the early use of social media was more again to spread awareness the way i think about marketing is a funnel right so eventually you need to get enough people interested in your company in your product so that they become aware of the product try the product and eventually become customers of the product now in this journey the role of social media is to fill the funnel or be at the top of the funnel and there it's super 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 critical because if you're a startup who nobody knows about how are you going to spread the word you have a handful of ways to spread the word of course your uh, vc uh, or venture capital your immediate network circle all of those work but then if you want to start building a funnel which is much bigger you need to use social media you need to use advertisement you need to use other aspects where people will learn about you so for us social media played a huge role i mean 
from a success perspective, it's hard to compare with other marketing methods, but by itself, I would say we were very big on it. The second aspect, I think social media sets a tone for the company. And I think this one mm-hmm. is important to understand what do you want your company's brand? Demisto, even early days, and I think this is, uh, this is actually not many people do this, and I would not say that we sat down and discussed our brand strategy. Again, that is for larger companies to go figure out your long-term brand strategy, but all the early employees and founding team had a sense of humor. They're happy people. We felt that security analysts need to be lighthearted. And with that in mind, if you look at our social media, it just so happened we were posting more to update people, be jovial about it, uh, and just kept a very light tone. And that was the other thing. It built the company brand and perspective. And people said, hey, what is Zimster doing? These guys look interesting people. Let's go learn about it. And they were not about the product uh, specifically. So I would ask you a question here, uh, which just occurred to me. You thought about brand, which is very few people at the start of a startup actually do that. Let's say if you have to go back in your memory, which are the one or two companies who started as a startup and actually build a great brand and you actually were impressed by them? Yeah, I I, I think two come top of mind and I, I, I don't know if there might be more. Again, as I said, we didn't do brand research. Uh, I think Splunk from early days built a brand for itself. It built a brand for being uh, developer friendly. DevOps was not even a word there, but I will call it more engineer friendly by uh, having smart t-shirts, having uh, witty taglines, all of those aspects. So appealing to the people who are techie. Uh, The other one, interestingly, during my marketing journey, and this is a company I learned during the marketing journey, is Drift. And I learned how that founding team carries itself, how they communicate, how they build a brand. Uh, that's another one. Mm-hmm. Do, you ha- do you recall anybody on security? Because uh, uh, in security, as you might concur, and feel free to disagree with me, that uh, security, a lot of us have seen that the, a lot of companies take them too seriously. And yes. uh, being tried to become more complex. I mean, the word is changing now. So do you think of any company which comes to your mind, which has tried to break that kind of a mold? Absolutely not, Alok. In fact, I think uh, not only I cannot think of a single security company, early on in the day, when we started to make DBOT our mascot, internally, we were all super excited uh, that, hey, DBOT is so cool, so cute. Uh, has a funny touch to it. We started to develop a voice of Dbot. And I got feedback from a couple of our salespeople who got feedback from some CISOs that, hey, this is ridiculous. I think you're making a joke out of it. I don't think we take you as a company seriously. That's not what security companies carry themselves as. And, and I, we actually took it back, sat down as a founding team, and I said, what do you guys think? It says, well, good feedback. What we want to make sure is we are taken, we are trusted by the CISOs. We build awesome products, but that doesn't mean you need to be boring. So trustworthy and boring 
are not synonymous in this world. You can be trustworthy and still be lighthearted. And we actually had this discussion. We took that. In fact, our UX person said, okay, good feedback. We actually changed the D-Bot to uh, mature up a little. It was designed as like a kid's character in the first version. We actually changed that and did a, re, did, did, uh, did a different version of D-Bot. But my point is, I think we, we got this feedback, security companies take themselves too seriously. Yeah. And I think the world is changing now. You see some people outspoken there, uh, but we didn't think that's how you conduct yourself because mm-hmm. then you get cooped up into a small room, into a sock, and get more and more depressed with time. Yeah, yeah. So you were thinking about the user also who basically wants to make bring some fun in life. So with that, let's move to the other question. I want to go back to the social media part of it. There are three primary social media channels, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. How will you contrast and compare all these three social media channels? Which one worked for you? Which- yeah, so I think uh, Facebook did not work for us, I'll be honest. Um, I, I don't know, again, sometimes be, being, uh, being an entrepreneur, I always kind of measure things. Uh, we measured every aspect of everything we engaged in. Facebook did not work for us. I said, maybe we are not using it right. But the reality is uh, Facebook for B2B companies is worth it. And remember our audience and customer segmentation, we kind of from day one focused on. Our audience is uh, mid to large enterprise. Now, a mid to large enterprise song director, if they see an ad for Demisto on Facebook while they are connecting with their friends, that may create a brand impression that, oh, yes, Demisto is there. But I just didn't feel right that that is the channel for us to go get leads. And the results were also very, very weak for us. We did retargeting on Facebook, didn't get much. And I realized myself that when I'm in that mood of looking at photographs of friends and family, I'm not going to click an ad to learn more about a product. Uh, LinkedIn actually worked extremely well for us. Uh, And I'm actually putting a perspective, this worked for us in two different ways. So LinkedIn and Twitter uh, it served different purpose for us. I would say both worked. LinkedIn worked for us very, very targeted leads. So retargeting, ads, all of those were fantastic for us because it's the right audience. You can do your audience segmentation with titles and very well. LinkedIn is designed for reaching B2B businesses. Twitter actually served a different purpose. Twitter served the purpose of being that lighthearted tone, giving education, pushing updates. We were way more verbose in the sense number of updates on Twitter uh, compared to LinkedIn. LinkedIn, we would do structured updates, educational white papers. So we kind of use these channels, keeping in mind how people use these channels, like how do our uh, consumers of the information use these channels? That influence how we use these channels and what information we put on these channels. Okay. So you mentioned about uh, that with LinkedIn, you were able to segment the customers by titles and many of those things. So a fundamental question comes to my mind. How did you identify your intended prospect segment? Was this once in a time exercise at the start of the company or let's say in first six months or was it a moving target? 
I think that's uh, one of those things, Alok. I strongly recommend everybody, whoever is actually doing marketing in a startup, few things that you need to do regularly. And regularly, depending on your pace, may mean annually, may even mean six months. One is product positioning. We, every year in, uh, in Q1, or in fact, I would say even January, before we did our sales kickoff, we actually revisited our positioning, revisited our positioning by starting with saying 500 to 600 word outline. What's the problem space? What's the product? Why are we different? Why will we win? What is our product positioning? Starting from 500 words to 300 to 100 to an elevator pitch of 30 words. We did this religiously every year. And second is, customer segmentation on what's working, what's not working. We did that almost six months, but that exercise was not like, let's segment our customers. That was a function of studying your conversion rate, studying uh, what verticals are converting faster. What is the pipeline split across verticals? Uh, is there a certain title uh, that uh, responds to our engagement better? And that was built into pretty much our every board decision making. Things like we, we used to report, what's your POC to uh, sales conversion? What's your pipeline to POC conversion? And the obvious question was, oh, we see customers across all verticals. So we never, like in the history of Demestro, we never found a vertical that worked for us because all verticals work for us. <laughs> but we did find, uh, absolutely which segment or size of customers worked for us. Either it was small, but high tech, or it was anything which is larger. So on the larger side, no vertical, but it was small size, high tech companies worked for us. So we were doing this customer segmentation con continuously, and I'm fortunate to have amazing founders, uh, co-founders, where we worked together as a product marketing team, because if you don't do that right, then the product doesn't get the benefit. So we were doing this exercise with the product management all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's move to slightly different segment, which is kind of based on what you just talked about. What were the channels uh, which you were using in building up your pipeline? Let me ask you actually a different question. What medium did you not choose or drop to build your pipeline? What was your thought process? Yeah, I think this one... Um, not having done marketing before helped me a lot, I would say. I, I think I was uh, I was never even aware the kind of marketing budgets people have when we started Demisto. So when I started researching how to build pipeline, where to build pipeline, either reading on my own or I went and talked to a whole bunch of marketing people, uh, I, I asked them the same question and then I would filter the answers based on what I think is reasonable and apply on my own judgment. Uh, very quickly it became aware, we're not gonna go crazy on spend on events early on. So for example, how much do you spend on a booth and uh, being present in trade shows? We were present, but I would take the smallest booth that justifies the stage of the company you are in rather than the largest booth that the budget can buy you. Uh, 
So you need to have presence because you still need to be professional, as I said, need to engage with the right audience, but you don't need to spend $100,000 on a booth when you're launching the company. You launch in the $15,000 booth at RSA. In fact, the first RSA, uh, we didn't even have that. Uh, we reserved uh, we reserved our own room in one of the hotels there and created it as a suite, but still drove enough attendance. So, at, le- at least for the beginning of the start. At least so. for the beginning, but also later, Alok, the interesting thing is uh, we were very clear that the leads that you get on the trade floor are not really those high quality leads. And the number is small. So how do you do an event, right? Like one of the examples that we learned, and unfortunately, it was not just my decision. The marketing team that we built, everybody was so focused on what works, what does not work, and measuring every aspect of it. When we started doing events, Black Hat, I remember it was an example. We sat down and said, we're going to be at Black Hat. We're going to spend, um, I think I remember $54,000, including booth and the this and that. Uh, and we estimated the leads we were going to get. And then people said, like, while we are there, if we throw a party, we may get more leads. Now, given there will be low quality leads, but you're going to touch a lot many people. And then we said, okay, let's throw a party. And then the point was, if you throw a party, throw a cool party. The team did a fabulous job. We got onto the list of somebody found us, said, this party looks amazing, put us on the coolest DEFCON parties list and the attendance was crazy the results from there were crazy and we built the same brand as i said approachable because all the founders were hanging out there people were meeting there professional but fun events tied to the traditional way of stuff now now that has become kind of norm a lot of people throw parties but the whole thing needs to align so events we did less and selected and when we did we knew what we were doing events as and for mm-hmm. okay so i think let me come to the different side of the story. So what worked for you? Like what were your modes of building pipeline and what were your top three? Yeah. So I think the top three on building pipeline, what we ended up seeing was, again, to me, it's not just the pipeline. I think building a pipeline has multi-step process, right? So I, I consider education and awareness as kind of the phase one where somebody who never has heard of uh, let's say even Demisto, or let's say even the space called Four later on, uh, you need to educate them. So that top of the funnel, you do that via your typical medium, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, social media, whatever you choose, uh, display ads on Google with the right mix, but also that is funneled with amazing content. You've got to invest in the content at that layer. So we invested a lot in the content to make people aware. Then we broke down the next stage to what I call consideration. So if somebody clicks and reads about uh, the problem space, not about our product, reads an article which we wrote on automation and security, that person needs to be tagged and tracked till they convert and they move to consideration phase. And the consideration phase, I call it, they end up on a website. So they might be reading an article on some other magazine, they end up on a website. When they end up on a website at that point of time, you need to give them the right materials because they are considering. If they want to read a customer testimonial, a white paper, don't get that. That worked fantastically for us. People remembered us 
And people came back and told me, it's like, hey, you publish all this stuff open without asking for the email says, hey, guess what? If I deliver value, they will come back to me. And then the last stage is conversion, where if they want to try the product, then we, of course, need their email, their phone number. By that time, you've earned the trust. So what very well worked for us is this multi-stage process that we put in out there. I think a lot of marketing people are aware, but they do not put this to use to focus on education awareness, consideration, and then conversion and let people get the information in the first two stages uh, as well. Okay. So something that I have missed from your answer that you did not mention very specifically about uh, practice of sending emails or doing cold calls. <laughs> it, it was that something kind of, a, you have made a conscious choice there? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I actually, that's another thing I did not do, Alok. So much so we did not do, I didn't even remember to not mention that, right? Uh, we hated that. We hated that as founders. I, uh, we had a lot of discussions internally, by the way. As we built the uh, sales development team, everybody says, let's go subscribe to this data source. Let's collect email addresses from here. Uh, bombard emails. Uh, we did a couple of experiments. It's not that I was able to say absolute no because I'm a believer, try everything. Um, there were examples of success in that small experiment we did. But my belief is the following. Security market, as you know, super crowded. Like, which of two different startups is so similar, even if they are not doing the same thing, that it's hard for somebody to judge from an email what is this person doing? It's very hard for you to get somebody's attention when they don't know you in an email or a phone call without them hanging up or deleting the email, explain them the pitch and engage them in the product. And in my opinion, I don't buy like that. I never bought a product because some random person sent me an email and sold me on something. So since I never did that, I hated that. In fact, Slavic hated that more than I hated that. So Slavic, our uh, co-founder and CEO. So even when we tried two times, of course, he would laugh. First of all, he says, Rishi, you go do it. Make sure I'm not in the list. So uh, my, my point is we did not do that. I don't think that works. Uh, it may work. It may get you lead. But eventually, it's very high cost. And you're going to annoy people. Did you have um, the usual SDR process? Yeah, we absolutely had a fantastic SDR team. It's not like the SDR team's role was very little outbound, as I call it, but we put very strong SLAs on inbound. When somebody wants to engage with our company, you want to give them the best experience. You want to give them absolutely fabulous response time. So we did have SDR process standard going through uh, nurturing those people after they engage, because even after they touch you first time, they may or may not be ready to buy. So we still did nurturing. I think the part of emailing that we did not do was cold calling or cold emailing. Once they are in our list, once they have downloaded something or engaged with us, you need to keep nurturing them. So we absolutely had that. So I would, just listening to you, I would make an observation that uh, there were two startups going on in one. One was a product startup and another was a marketing startup, <laughs> right? So <clears throat> from that background, if I had to ask you, if some startup had to solve some of the marketing problem as you saw them one while you were building, what were the marketing problems that you would ask these new startups to solve and why? Yeah, that's actually 
I think there's a lot of innovation going on in the, people call it the marketing stack. Uh, there are some core problems that need to be solved here. I think first I think is the, there is a lot of talk of the data-driven approach to marketing. I think people understand it, people understand the metrics uh, on what they mean, but it's extremely hard with the set of tools available in the market for somebody starting a full-fledged new marketing team to put the process in place, to put the structure in place. The entire ecosystem is super fragmented and everybody wants to own the data. I'll take a very concrete example. LinkedIn, when you get the leads, if you put the form there to go submit it on your website, like a lead form for let's say whatever campaign you're running, your conversion rates drops down because nobody wants to click on a form, give the email address again. But LinkedIn already knows who is reading this article. Why can they not capture the lead? Guess what? They do capture it, okay? But getting that data into your Salesforce or whatever your marketing tool is, HubSpot, market or of your choice, is non-trivial because LinkedIn wants to control this data, how it goes in, where it goes in. So now that level of granularity of the data stays with LinkedIn. Same, your website data stays in whatever your tool of HubSpot or MarketOS. Your ad data comes in from Google and they don't expose the same level of data. So to me, I think we as marketers putting to an end-to-end -end process of this thing, education, awareness, consideration, conversion, who moved through the entire cycle, what stage worked, what money worked, what budget worked, the data is in multiple silos. I mean, we did so much internally, tried to pull this here, pull this there. Of course, we were not operating at a very large scale. So I was able to do it with, I call uh, scripts and duct tape. Mm -hmm. That's what we ended up doing pretty much regularly to make decisions. Mm -hmm. That decision-making framework still does not exist out there. Mm -hmm. No, I, I appreciate uh, the struggle here. I Hopefully somebody's listening. Although it's kind of a hard problem because if somebody's okay. owning the data, uh, they control pretty much uh, how much the sharing and tagging would be even possible. Yeah. But let's move on to something again, if you just want to endorse or if you want to call out a product, which basically in your journey as a zero to a complete fully successful marketing person, what technology or a new product related to marketing that impressed you the most during your domestic years and why? Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't know if it's an endorsement, Alok, but I'll tell you, I think one of the things which we imbibed as the marketing culture at Demisto, and I learned a lot from this company, and that is what I imbibed, is basically what HubSpot did, right? The whole idea of content marketing, giving content to uh, marketing people when they want, or in our case, giving content to security analysts when and what they want, uh, impressed me. So uh, we were HubSpot users. The journey of us getting to HubSpot was not like a full bake-off or trial against any other content marketing platform. Others like Marketo may be as good in my opinion, but the reason why HubSpot got me was very simple. Uh, I remember our first board meeting after funding, um, my job as head of marketing was to go say, hey, what will be our budget for next year? 
and where will we spend on? I said, hey, maybe there is a marketing budget template that's sitting out there on the internet. So I went on Google, search marketing budget template. Guess what? HubSpot had a link with an Excel spreadsheet, fully fleshed out marketing budget template, and what field means what, how do you think about marketing budget allocation? I gave my email address for that to them. They gave me the template I started using. A year passed by. In that year, they kept sending me other information and interesting data. How does content marketing work? Uh, how much money to spend as a uh, subset of your sales? Like how, how do you decide whether you should spend more money on marketing and less? Beautiful. They had me throughout by educating me till a year and a half from the beginning, I was ready to buy. And when I'm ready to buy, I thought of one product. Why don't I try HubSpot? And then they had an amazing ecosystem of partners to help me onboard it. So as soon as I called them, says, oh, awesome. Do you have somebody who's going to implement the solution for you? I said, no. They actually have consultants to implement it for me. And I was done. Mm -hmm. No, beautiful. Let's ask, let me ask a different question now in the sense of uh, you have done your journey uh, as a head of marketing for Demisto from the inception to the selling of company. What is the one thing that you would not repeat in your next startup? That's a good one. I think uh, we did not do cold calling or emailing, but I think we still did enough experiments and we still bought some less. And in my opinion, I think to me, given the world of privacy we live in, given how people think, one, I would absolutely not uh, buy a single source, even for enrichment of data. Uh, not only cold calling, a lot of the companies out there are starting to push, says, hey, enrich your user data with this type of information about them. Uh, I actually think that's getting borderline privacy violation now, given the new regulations. So that's one thing I would not do, right? I mean, these were all mm -hmm. legitimate lists. It's not that you, you did something wrong, but there is this whole business in marketing around buying lists and emailing people and enriching the data that you have. I, I'm traumatized enough even these days. I mean, people think it's privacy, but I get enough calls for Demisto because my cell phone number is out there as an executive of Demisto and people still trying to call me and sell me something. Wow. Thanks, Rishi. I believe the audience of uh, this podcast will learn a lot from what you had to say, both from the folks who are currently in startups, but also from folks who do not know marketing from a direct experience, but have observed, and they would have much more clarity because you explain them in a much simpler words. Uh, thank you, Rishi, for joining this podcast. Absolutely. Very happy to be here, Alok. Thanks for having me.